Hello and welcome to Cage Club. Two fans, 73 movies, one cage. Today we're actually not talking about a movie, so our tagline is a little deceptive. Today we're talking about Cage's guest host appearance on Saturday Night Live from September 28th, 1992. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi, and welcome to a special episode of Cage Club. So this episode of SNL is the first episode of season 18. Cage is on the show for publicity for Honeymoon in Vegas, which he makes a reference to in his opening monologue, that this is one of the movies in theaters right now. He's very excited that it's a, I guess, you know, as we've been talking about, he's sort of had some under the radar, some foreign films, some things that didn't go over very well. So he seems pretty genuinely excited to have a movie actually doing pretty well in theaters. Yeah, this is Cage's one and only appearance on SNL. And that, usually when you are asked to do the show, it's a, it's a sign that your project is actually doing pretty well, you know, that's going along. I think Honeymoon in Vegas was pretty moderate success, you know, so he gets to go on the show and do some further promotion for it. I mean, later, 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 like 19 years later, I think in season 37, He'll appear on Weekend Update with uh, next to Andy Samberg, who is impersonating Nicolas Cage. But it's sort of weird that he just never came back, because as we were talking about last episode, he's a really good comedic actor. I think in this episode of SNL, as we'll talk about, they played a, a couple of his real sort of comedic strengths. And I think he did a pretty good job. It's just sort of weird that he never came back in any capacity. Yeah, he could have been one of the all-time great reoccurring guests, like um, like a Tom Hanks or a John Goodman. You know, the, these guys like Alec Baldwin that have gone on to do the show like fifteen times. You know, I, I, I am a little surprised he, he isn't at least in the Five Timers Club. I I don't know why he. I, I wonder if they had like a falling out, or if he just didn't want to do it, or if. It's it's something best left to the history books and something that I wrote about in my review for this about imagining a alternate reality world where Cage is a TV star with best of times and this. In the world that we live in today, it's just two one-off appearances and he's lived his life in movies. Now, this is such a strong episode of Saturday Night Live, I think. like it Just every scene that he's in, all of his skits, at least, are... Are really good. Every one of his skits is really strong, and the cast is, like, crazy good. SNL is always a type of show that I've never really watched it, to be honest. I have seen a lot of clips, uh, you know, when something really big happens. I've seen all the Celebrity Jeopardies. I've seen a bunch of different stuff. But it's never been a show that I've really watched. And I've, I've really sort of realized recently that my favorite way to watch it is to watch it after the people that were on SNL leave the show, and go and create some of my favorite things. Earlier this year, I was going back and watching some of the SNLs with, like, Amy and Tina and Seth Meyers and Fred Armisen and all those people. In a weird way, it's kind of like college football. Like, you watch these people, and you sort of fall in love with them, and then just when you think, like, they're about to do great things on this thing you love, whether, you know, it's a college football team or the show... They leave and go do something else. You know what I mean? And so I never really got into the habit of watching these to find people. I know that a lot of the people that I love have come from SNL. So going back and watching episodes and seeing the people from my other favorite things on the show gives me a weird sort of reflective joy. It's pretty interesting because I'm pretty much from the complete opposite camp where I grew up watching Saturday Night Live pretty much from the moment I was in like 7th or 8th grade. It was something that we would talk about at lunch, strangely enough. 
this episode and these years in the 90s, like, I'm super familiar with all this stuff. And, and it's funny that, you know, like, I grew up with, like, the Mike Myers and, and Dana Carvey and those guys. And then I got to go see all the people leave SNL, you know, and go make their movies. Yeah. Like, in the reverse order that, that you're sort of experiencing them. And same goes sort of for the 2000s. You know, I just always sort of kept up with the show, you know, even as it was going through the, the good times and the bad times. So it's kind of funny how, how we have, like, these different perspectives of this show. But we meet here in the middle because of the man we're here to see and the man we're here to talk about, Nicolas Cage. The SNL cast at this time is Dana Carvey, Chris Farley, Phil Hartman, Mike Myers, Kevin Nealon, Adam Sandler, Rob Schneider. I think Jan Hooks had just left the show either like a year or two before. She comes back to play Hillary Clinton in this episode. Julia Sweeney. Yeah. Ellen Cleghorn. Chris Rock is in this episode. There's a lot of just like crazy huge names in the world of comedy and they're just all on this show and it's sort of insane to look back and just see all the talent in this one little program when these guys were on the air this cast came on the air no one was looking at them going oh this is the next original cast you know how everyone like from the first season sort of blew up and became celebrities you know chevy chase left the first season to go do movies bill murray became a huge star on and on but these guys sort of ended up almost eclipsing that first that first cast in a way. I mean, they're just so powerful, and they stayed on the air on the show for such a long time that everyone just ended up loving and knowing them. And it's kind of sad to see, you know, at least with Chris Farley and Phil Hartman, who died way before they should have. I mean, otherwise, like, a lot of these people are still very prominent today, 23 years later. It's not only just success and immense success, but, like, long-running, long-standing success. And I also realized that every year or so when they do it, when Adam Sandler does a movie, he's just getting the gang back together because everybody in, like, the last eight Adam Sandler movies is pretty much, like, from this cast season. So it's good to see two times in a row Don Pardo in a Nicolas Cage Cage Club event. Uh, He was the announcer in Honeymoon in Vegas, and in this episode, he brings us right in with, ladies and gentlemen, Nicolas Cage. Yeah, that was some nice foreshadowing in Honeymoon in Vegas, with Don Pardo showing up at the end there to lead us into this episode. And I think this is the only time I've ever heard Don Pardo mispronounce anything in the opening. (laughs) He kind of stumbled saying G.E. Smith and the Saturday Night Live band, but it's awesome how much that didn't matter, because like he just is the consummate professional and just kept going. And it's live television. And the guy's, like, already 100 years old. But, yeah, it's it was so cool to hear uh, Nicolas Cage and see him come out on the uh, center stage. Silver suit and black turtleneck, very time yeah. stylized. And he comes out, and his monologue is pretty short, I think. He says, you know, Honeymoon in Vegas is in theaters, had a great time making it, had an even better time with uh, my co-star Sarah Jessica Parker. This has really been a terrific fall. I've got a hit movie out, Honeymoon in Vegas. <laughs> Thank you. But for me, the most fun thing about the movie was working with Sarah Jessica Parker. I mean, she was real funny and, and really great. And, and she has the most beautiful big breasts. I mean, they were so pretty. And I was like this close to them every day. I mean, it was just, it was, it was so fun. The last film I had that much fun on was Moonstruck. Because, I mean, Cher has this, this really... This really incredibly beautiful ass. I mean, it's just, it's, it's so great. His whole joke is pretty much just like, he doesn't realize how sexist he's being. Uh, he just thinks that he's praising his co-stars. And then, uh, like, he gets the call 
to go backstage and talk to the man himself, Lauren Michaels, because uh, he might be in a little hot water. What I really liked about this was a couple things. Number one, I like that he's self-deprecating right off the bat. Like, he's not just telling jokes. What I also liked about it was that in all these movies, and we've talked about it every time, he's sort of this ultimate player. It sort of fits in with that kind of character. You know what I mean? Definitely. That he's, he's just this guy who loves women, loves boobs, loves butts. And he's going to talk about it with whoever. <laughs> and the only person who seems to really uh, be on his side is Chris Farley. He's like, hey, man, my life's going really great. <laughs> yeah, he's getting like all these dirty looks from the audience and from the female cast members. And he's yeah. just like, oh, it's going great, right? And then, yeah, Chris Farley's like, awesome, monologue. <laughs> <laughs> but my favorite part is when he goes to talk to Lauren, we get another little bit of a cage connection. When Lauren's like, hey, what if I told you that, you know, what if I asked you to talk about how attractive Sofia Coppola is? And I was like, oh, Domino. I just don't want the audience to think you're sexist. Sexist? Well, I'm, not, I'm not sexist. That's the last thing I am. All right, Nick, if you're going to talk about killer bods, I think you should mention Sofia Coppola. Hey! That's my cousin! <laughs> I do that to prove a point. You see, when you're talking about someone that's close to you, it's different, isn't it? Oh, oh, oh you're right! He grabs Lorne Michaels by the lapels and, like, slams him against the wall and has one of his famous cage freakouts. Uh, and Lorne Michaels, you know, thus proves his point. It's not so funny if you know the person. That's the only lesson that Cage needs to hear, and he goes back out and fixes his little mistake. So he goes back up on stage, and he's like, by the way, James Conn's in the movie, too, and he's got a great ass. In fact, it might even be better than Cher's ass. So he made sure to talk about the men and the woman in the same light. Equal opportunity offender. There you go. So after after the monologue ends, the next sketch is a little Calvin Klein for dogs. <laughs> Canis, I think it is, Canis. as in canine. A guy making out with a dog. Cage is not in that one, so I don't want to spend too much time on it, especially considering the next sketch is the one that Cage is probably most known for for SNL. It's Tiny Elvis. Yeah, he finally is legitimately playing Elvis for the first time. But not full-size Elvis. Elvis is probably about like 18 inches tall. Yeah, and he went with the 1968 Elvis comeback special black jumpsuit look, which I loved. I thought that was hilarious because we got so much of the sort of end of his career white jumpsuit rhinestone yeah. Elvis in in Honeymoon in Vegas. So it was mm-hmm. cool to see a bit of Elvis imagery that we haven't seen yet. Tiny Elvis, is, he's the most popular man in the room. Uh, he has like the worst jokes like, hey man, look at that lamp. What a huge lamp. Hey man, look at look at that salt shaker. Look how, look how big that salt shaker is. Hey Sonny, Red, look how big that lamp is, man. That's huge. <laughs> That's righty. I mean, I don't know how I'd ever turn that thing off, man. That is enormous. <laughs> That's right, Elvis. That's a big lamp. It sure is, man. It's a really big lamp. <laughs> That's hilarious, Elvis. Yeah, hey, Elvis, you're really funny. Hey man, look at that salt shaker, man. That is huge. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'll never be able to use all that salt, man. That's way too much. Yeah, that's a big salt shaker, Elvis. Sure is huge, man. So I think this has a lot to say about actual Elvis. I I believe he he was notorious for keeping a bunch of yes-men in his presence Mm. just so that everything he said would get, like, a response. You know what I mean? Or, like, every idea he had would be backed up with, like, yeah, that's a great idea, E. Like, we should totally do that. I got the sense that this was sort of a play on the fact that uh, no one ever really disagreed with Elvis. My favorite part of the sketch, though, is when they, they're they done sort of hanging out of the house, and, like, as, you know, Elvis was probably want to do, they would go out for a night on the town. They're just driving around. Tiny Elvis just takes a little, he, like, curls up in a little ball on the on the dashboard, 
and his friends are like, oh man, we should put a little mini marshmallow under his head for his little pillow and give him an acorn cap for his head. It's great because you fill in the blanks immediately. Like we see, we don't see the acorn hat or the marshmallow on the screen, but immediately, right. like I'm picturing that in my mind. I mean, this skit is just like it's so simple, but it's great. You know, like it's great in its simplicity. Cage's only in like three real sketches in this episode. He's not in it a whole lot. What I love about it is that they're writing to his strengths. Like, we know how much he loves Elvis. We've seen him sing Elvis, dress as Elvis. We've heard Elvis songs in his movies. And I just love that the first sketch right out of the gate is one that's immediately designed to show off his talents and play to his strengths. Yeah, I I almost wonder if if he uh, suggested Tiny Elvis or just came in the room and was like, let's do something with Elvis. I mean, I'm sure they were thinking Elvis so much because of Honeymoon in Vegas, but you're right. Like, uh, it was such a good call to do this first and, and get this out there and, you know, the top of the show to get you really pumped up and, and laughing because, yeah, we won't really see him command an entire skit until after the news. Both of them, he absolutely kills it, and I just love seeing this one start the show off. Now, what's kind of interesting about this Tiny Elvis skit is they brought it back once without Nicolas Cage. Rob Schneider played Tiny Elvis. Oh, I, I do not want to see that. Yeah, I haven't seen that in a long time, but I remember watching it going, um, something's up here, what's going on? That's not Tiny Elvis, and then I was like, oh yeah, okay, they did this like once or twice without Cage because it was such a hit, but it's almost the exact same skit. <laughs> you can't really change it up too much, you know? I think they go drive into a different place, and they're sitting in the kitchen instead of the living room. With different things to talk about how big they are. Yeah. What I noticed about this episode really sort of from the Tiny Elvis skit and a little bit past it, is kind of how low the production values were. Like, I know it's sort of the era and the technology is not necessarily there, but there's just stuff on screen that just makes the show sort of feel cheap. And maybe that's just me coming from never having really watched SNL. But I was a little surprised at how low budget some of the stuff seemed. What's crazy is this is probably at the time like the most high tech live broadcast being done at right now. Like there's there's more complicated stuff going on than like the evening news live, you know? So when they're doing like live chroma key and green screen stuff and yeah. things like that, you're probably more prone to screwing it up, you know, the technical side as opposed to like the performance side and things like that. So yeah, I know it, it's just a sign of the times, I think. It's like during the Tiny Elvis skit, you can sort of see like the um, the numbers on the footage a little bit yeah, for a like minute, the, right? the VHS tape, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, there are a couple mistakes back then, but it's actually kind of charming watching it now going like like look how look what we had to deal with like and no one even cared like people just thought it was the greatest the other thing i noticed from this episode is that all these like timely references most of weekend update i just do not understand because <laughs> i was like four almost five at the time and there's all these jokes and when especially when adam sandler comes on as opera man which is actually pretty great yeah he's making jokes about everything you know as you would regular in today's snl just about Miley Cyrus or whoever, these people that 23 years later, with a few exceptions, are not in our consciousness anymore. And so it's weird to like be thrust into an era where I just know almost nothing about it. Well, if you need any notes, just let me know, because I could probably <laughs> identify everything that was going on during this. A big, a big topic for this 
episode of SNL is the Woody Allen Mia Farrow divorce where he started dating his adopted daughter Soon Yi. Right. So there's tons and tons of of that going on. Then uh, Ross Perot was a huge deal at the time. It was him, Bush, and Clinton running for president. So he was like the third party running candidate. You know, he was just like an eccentric millionaire. He was almost like the Donald Trump of then, but he was a nice guy, not like this jerk face. And then Hillary Clinton, you know, that's like the one thing you probably were just like, the more things change, the more they stay the same. I know. Hillary Clinton was more in this episode than Bill Clinton, who was running for president. Because during Weekend Update, they, they bring up a newspaper clipping about Bush and Clinton running against each other. And I wrote down, like, what is this, 2015? Like, it's the same story. I mean, it's the same thing that people have been talking about since we knew that Jeb and Hillary were both going to be sort of running. It's just weird to see the exact same story come to life again. Like, it's just, it's mind-boggling. <laughs> also, like, I don't think I've ever seen a picture of Hillary Clinton, like the actual Hillary Clinton, that young. It's like 40-ish or whatever at the time. I was sort of thrown off by, like, how young and not really, like, Hillary, but also not really Hillary that she sort of looks. And again, for me, I was like, oh, yeah, that's the Hillary Clinton. Like, I recognize when I see her on TV today, I'm almost like, well, whose grandma is that, you know? Because she is a grandma now, you know what I'm saying? And, like, I was just, it was, it's just so funny how, how we are coming at it from these different views. I also liked how Kevin Nealon mentioned Mike Tyson in a Weekend Update. Oh, yeah. I, was think- I was thinking, oh, man, Honeymoon in Vegas. Like, he, that's not why they mentioned it, but I was like, another Cajun action right there. Yeah, and I think, you know, again, he was really, you know, he was in the public conscious big time because he came out of nowhere like this wonder kid sensation and you know that's why i think we got him in honeymoon in vegas because the the screenwriters like something topical something topical you know (laughs) everyone knows mike tyson a couple like a month later on on snl he's still like butts a butt of a joke and he's still the butt of jokes today you know he's got still the butt of jokes he's got a cartoon on on cartoon network which is amazing and he's just sort of i think the only difference between then and now is that he's sort of in on the joke like he's willing to make fun of himself (laughs) yeah that's a great call the other real cage connection during Weekend Update is when Adam Sandler comes on to be Opera Man. The Opera Man's final joke, and sort of at the at his climactic finale, when the audience just is applauding for him, I think that's what it is. They cut to the audience, Cher and Cage, but as their characters from Moonstruck, as if they're at the opera. Just so wonderful. If I had watched just this episode of SNL without doing Cage Club, I'd be like, oh, alright, that's cool, Like, there's Nicolas Cage, and I guess that's Cher. Having seen Moonstruck, having talked about Moonstruck, knowing that's such a big important part of that movie it just made me love that all the much more i was pumping my fists so hard <laughs> and like going yes 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 because of what you like you said you know we were doing the cage club and like i got the reference immediately and i gotta be honest i was i was sitting there watching opera man and i'm like opera i wonder if they're gonna like work something <laughs> i was like at first i was just like i bet they're just i bet the opera man and it's just like a coincidence and then i was like well maybe they did opera man because of moonstruck but i did not think we would see you know cage has a glove on one of his hands you know he's playing they are playing those characters yeah. it's terrific did Opera Man ever come back, or is this the only appearance of Opera Man? I remember seeing Opera Man at least one or two more times. I, I was okay. a fan of Opera Man. I mean, <laughs> this is sort of where Adam Sandler would come out on the news and test like all these characters. This is where he started playing guitar and doing all of his Hanukkah songs and all those types of stuff. So the, he would come out and do Opera Man once or twice a season. Watching Opera Man sort of maybe long for the time when I when Adam Sandler wasn't a punchline. Like I've never really been like the biggest fan of his movies. Like I, all my friends would sort of like his stuff more. I really did like Happy Gilmore, Billy Madison, and all those movies, and now, I mean, he hasn't put out a good movie in so long. He, the only good movies he's been in have been ones by, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson or Judd Apatow. He's just like this caricature of himself, and so when I saw him come out as Opera Man, I was like, oh, great, here we go, 
But then I realized, like, this is still before he became the Adam Sandler of today, and he just is, like, super into what he's doing. He was this amazing comedic force. It is a little upsetting when you look back on stuff like this and go, like, wow, Adam Sandler really is super talented, like, you know, in command of his art and all that. You know, like, he knows exactly what he's doing, and then, like, I go to see Pixels, and he's basically dead behind the eyes. You know, he's yeah. just he's just roaming through that movie. Like, everyone else is, like, into it, and he's just not. And it's just kind of upsetting to, to wonder, like, where did the shift take place? How did it happen? Is he just burned out? But you're right, like, you know, Adam Sandler, like, he he had it going on, man. Like, he was he was on the right path, so. Rest in peace, funny Adam Sandler. Yeah. Yes. But the next sketch right after Weekend Update is Baby Names, and that's the second and really sort of final Cage sketch in this episode, and it's Cage and his pregnant wife just trying to come up with baby names, and when this came on, I just felt so bad once again for Ed McDonough. I was just like, man, this is this is never a conversation that they're going to have. <laughs> Poor Ed and H.I. It's, sort of, it's such a simple idea, but Cage is just so good that every name his wife recommends, he shoots down. Um, William. <laughs> William. Good. Willie. Wee Willie. Jilly Willie. Willie Wonka. Hey, where's your chocolate factory? Oopa Loopa. Every day of the <laughs> <laughs> teased a lot as a kid? No, I did not. Did you tease a lot of kids? Because judging from these names you're picking, you don't seem to be very sensitive. Um, Sam. Great, Sam. Uncle Sam, I want you to be ostracized. Let's try Paul. Right, Paul. Hey, Paul, where's Peter and Mary? What? Peter, Paul, and Mary. Hey, Paul, play me a folk song, and then I'll beat the crap out of you. Ben. Ben. What, are you giving birth to a big bear? Great. Gentle Ben. Hey, Ben, where's Jerry? Get me some ice cream or I'll beat the crap out of you. Look, we, we could call him Benjamin. Sure, Benjamin. Harrison. Hey, Benjamin, how's that tariff coming? Montana State yet? Well, what about Todd? Todd. Todd. Tad. Tadpole. Our son's a tadpole. Hey, tadpole, I don't like you. Thank your parents. Now, hold on. I said Todd, not Tad. I mean, that's cheating. You changed the name. Yeah, and it took five seconds. Might take a kid ten. And the sketch on its own, even before you get to the ultimate punchline... I think is pretty funny. Yeah, I just think the absurdity of it is what really sells it for me. You know, just the fact that he can't agree on any name and, like, he'll just turn any name into a way to tease his son, you know, at the fastest opportunity. Like, even if it doesn't make sense, like, he'll just he'll just switch letters around or whatever it takes, but he, he cannot settle on a name. It doesn't even... <laughs> it's like, it doesn't it, make sense. Like normal names. He's rejecting names like John, William, Billy, you know, like, Thomas. Like, they're just Tom, Mike, Joey. Like, he will just not settle on like the most normal name that you even like no one would even consider making fun of and the ultimate name that they they finally settle on is she goes over to the bookshelf and picks up her baby name book and the name that i guarantee was in no baby book anywhere outside of iceland they settle on biardker yeah. is that how you... yep biardker b-j-a-a-r-d-k-r something, something like that and he's like hey i like that name yeah, no one, no one will ever think to make fun of that name. <laughs> All the names, Bjarkur. And I thought that was the punchline, is that they settle on the name that is the easiest thing to make fun of. But no, there's, there's a, a button at the end of this skit. I have a telegram here for Mr. and Mrs. Asswipe Johnson. Oh, thank you, that's us. I'm supposed to read it. Dear Asswipe and Emily, congratulations on your upcoming blessed event. All our love, Bob and Diane. Here you go, sir. 
Thank you. Uh, excuse me. Um, by the way, that's Oz Weepang. <laughs> what? Forget it. And, and there you have it. He's so sensitive about the most common names because Cage's name is Asswipe Johnson. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, Cage. Aswipe Johnson. Somebody somewhere probably has that name for some reason. Whether It's like a perfect button to the sketch. Yeah, I wonder if this was around the time where celebrities and sports stars started coming out with like their ridiculous names like Apple or Anthony and things like that. You know, it, was, it sort of became a trend at one point yeah. to, to name your child something outrageous. So I almost wonder if it was like a commentary on, on people like that too. I sort of was wondering if they were looking up names like, oh, it's like, is anyone actually named Asswipe? <laughs> like, can we go? Like, I wouldn't put it past the writer's room to be like, let's see if anyone ever named their son like Shithead or something like that, right. you know? So, yeah, it just works on so many levels. And to be honest, it's like one of my favorite skits that SNL has ever done. It's great. And I, I, I don't think I've ever seen this. Like, I, I know about Tiny Elvis. You know, if you if you know about Cage, you know about Tiny Elvis. But I don't think I've ever seen Baby Names before or even heard of it. So this was like a complete welcome surprise. Nice. I'm glad you got to see it unspoiled. And that's sort of all that Cage is in the episode. He is in one scene a little bit later. They do a parody of Nightline. Bill Clinton's on there just answering questions from the crowd. Cage goes up to ask a question. It's sort of like a bland, boring question. Really no need for it to be him. The best part of the scene is just how good Jan Hooks is as Hillary Clinton. Yeah, she pretty much created the impression of Hillary Clinton. I think she was the first person to impersonate Hillary Clinton on SNL or, you know, any one of these uh, sketch comedy shows. People may have taken her impression and then used that, you know, to form their own impression. That's what happened sort of a lot with SNL, you know, like Dana Carvey would do his George Bush and then you'd hear lots of other people doing George Bush the same way he did it. I guess the way to describe her impression is just really sort of smiley and pretty in the background and then like as soon as a question's even remotely asked of her. She, like, jumps to the front of the stage to, like, give her moment, her time to shine. She's a hog in the spotlight. Like, uh, the Nightline skit is about a Clinton rally, but she's definitely trying to, you know, take control. <laughs> she's up there at the podium, like, right next to him, trying to answer his questions and stuff. So I think it's just showing that, like, she is, like, even then they were trying to say, like, yeah, we're going to vote for Bill Clinton, but we're going to get Hillary as president kind of situation. The other thing I noticed, which will set us up for the next episode, is that in the Queen Shaniqua show, Queen Shaniqua is talking to Bobby Brown, the musical guest, and they're criticizing Woody Allen for having no black actors in his films. And it's true, like, he doesn't have a lot of black actors in his movies. But then I was thinking, you know, we've seen, like, 18 Cage movies, and there haven't been too many black actors in his movies. You know, Forrest Whitaker was in Fast Times... Lawrence Fishburne was in Rumblefish. Cotton Club and Time to Kill had a lot of... It was, that was sort of what the movie was about. I mean, Time to Kill was overseas. But it's sort of weird that like it's it's been this criticism of Woody Allen, but in the same thing... I mean, Nicolas Cage isn't making these movies. like He's not casting the movies. But it's a similar criticism that can be thrown his way, which is why I think it's sort of weird timing that the next movie is him is Amos and Andrew. Or it's him and Samuel L. Jackson. That is kind of interesting, though. Um, it is it is sort of the, the same but different because Nick Cage isn't writing and directing these movies. But it, I don't know. That That is kind of an interesting thing that you brought up there. And uh, he will finally have his first black co-star. It's just weird that like they were making fun of Woody Allen and it made me think of a thing that we really haven't talked about here on Cage Club. I mean, it's it's like, like it's, it's not Cage's fault by any stretch of the imagination. It's just sort of a weird kind of coincidence. Sign of the times, my man. <laughs> Sign of the times. 
games. Anything else you want to talk about for this episode of SNL? The Bobby Brown performance was kind of unexpected. I don't remember Bobby Brown being so like overtly sexual with his <laughs> dancing and singing and everything. I think he even got a shit out live on television there at one point where he's like, let's do this shit. But yeah, Bobby Brown, man, uh, I actually remember being into some of his music and then watching it now just wondering why. Like, what was I thinking? But his style and everything, that's what that's what was going on at the end of yeah. the 80s, man. That's that's what we had. We had Bobby Brown. We no longer have Bobby Brown. Is Bobby Brown still alive? Bobby Brown has survived, yes. The people around him, not so lucky. Right. That includes his career. Shout out to Bobby, if you're listening. I don't think you are, but <laughs> shout out to Bobby Brown. That'll do it for Cage's guest host appearance on Saturday Night Live. Next time on Cage Club, we have Amos and Andrew from 1993. So we're moving right along. We're getting into closer and closer into the blockbuster days of Cage's career. Go to cageclub.me to read all our reviews, to follow us on Twitter, to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, do all that sort of fun stuff. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And we'll see you next time on Cage Club. We're gonna sleep in a hat, we're gonna dance in a shoe, we're gonna climb up a chair, yeah, that's what I'm gonna do with you. Cause as me, I'm tired of everything.